This is The Long Run Show with Austin P. Wilson and Michael J. O'Connor. The Long Run Show is brought to you by Benzinger Podcasts for listeners like you. Thank you. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Long Run Show. This is Michael O'Connor here with the lovely... Austin Wilson, that's me, the lovely <laughs> Austin Wilson. And here with our extra special guest today, we have our second guest-based episode. I am, I am loving this. I'm loving the conversations, Austin. We are here with Richard Chan, CEO and co-founder over at CoverRight. How are you doing today, Richard? Yeah, I'm well, I'm well. And thanks so much, um, you know, Mike and Austin, for having me on the show. I'm excited, excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you. It's it's great to. I know that a lot of uh, a lot of the discussions we've had recently have centered around psychology, have centered around uh, a, a bunch of kind of more broad brain topics than we just had an episode about insurance. So the timing seems to be perfect uh, to really pick your brain on cover right, pick your brain on insurance as a whole, where you've been, where you're going. Uh, so I'd love to just start off with like you know. Who are you? What's your journey? What got you here? You know, the kind yeah. of backstory. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in case your audience is wondering, uh, Accent is from Australia. So grew up in, in Sydney, uh, been in the, the States for the last five or six years, um, but started my career really on the financial services side and capital markets um, and providing you know, M&A advice to companies in the financial services, in the fintech, edtech and consumer sectors. Um, and, you know, I'd always been, you know, fascinated about how important the financial services industry as a whole is to both the economy and, and everyday lives. And I think um, the issue is not everyone understands it well. And so I was really drawn to fintech at my time, you know, covering you know, these financial services companies and you know, the ability for technology to help uh, the broader population on items like personal finance. Um, and so in 2017, I actually left that career to join uh, a company based out of San Francisco that was actually tackling a very interesting problem uh, on the other side of the demographic spectrum to what I'm doing now in the student loan space, uh, which I found fascinating at the time. Um, you know, there's been this whole wave of student loan refinancing. The, the company was Credible.com, which is one of the first student loan refinance marketplaces at the time. And it was a, you know, you, you guys... I uh, probably remember like 08, 09, it was like just after the, the financial crisis, interest rates were really low, uh, and but the federal rate for student loans was like high single digit, and so it didn't make sense. It was kind of a weird dislocation, and so that's how I got my my feet wet in fintech. Um, that company ended up uh, selling a couple of years ago, and you know I wanted to dive in and do something else in, in sort of the personal finance space, and really looked around uh, insurance specifically, because I think that's a space that, you know, is about five or 10 years behind lending in terms of innovation. Um, and yeah, landed on, on you know, Coverite, uh, which is in the Medicare space, which is uh, on the seniors demographic primarily uh, as like a super interesting problem um, that, that really hasn't been solved yet. Yeah, it's like the, the tech space is always, um, it's, it's always kind of focused on like the younger population assuming, oh, well, they use technology more anyway, so we'll create solutions for them. So what was the, what was the impetus behind uh, going after kind of the, the uh, kind of older demographic and making a solution that's fintech based? Obviously, it has a tech solution to it. So it's going to, you're going to need to make sure that they're tech savvy enough. What was the, what was the impetus? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the impetus really was, I think there's an, uh, a rapidly changing dynamic uh, in the way people who are aging into 65 today are in the digital savviness compared to those a decade ago. 
you know, the the demographics that are aging of 65, I think the statistics are the 50%, uh, more, more of them have like a college education. And then also the fact that a lot of them have spent the last 30 years within the workforce and have actually been part of this whole internet boom. And so it's really no longer the case in my eyes that people turning 65 are digital savvy. I think everyone's got a smartphone um, from our own experience, you know, on cover right, people are going through these experiences. I think there's a little bit of different differentiation between the millennial generation where there is sometimes still a, 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 a need for a concierge type service but versus purely digital. And that's kind of what we cater for. Um, but, yeah, I think what we're seeing is huge change in demographics. There's 10,000 people retiring every single day. Um, there's been no technology really for seniors. I think it's been a very overlooked part of the industry. And frankly, most of the industry that we're in doesn't believe that seniors can use technology, which we just fundamentally don't, don't agree with. Right. I, I had a little bit of background um, in the kind of financial services space myself uh, was a, was at a financial advising firm for about a year and a half. And, and it was the case that the, the underlying assumption was always the case that oh, we don't want to use e-forms. We don't want to use e-signature and freak clients out, you know? And I think there probably is some truth to that. Some of these advisors, you know, they had a, a 20 year old practice. So some of their clients would not be comfortable with that, but I would say probably the newer ones definitely be comfortable. With that. I mean, like you said, the, the, a lot of the folks that are retiring right now have been a part of this big boom in computing and the internet and that they've been in the, the workforce during those those kind of uh, transition years. So they've been a part of that. So that's an, a good insight and probably a good um, a bias to check almost, at least on my end. Like I, I, I would probably assume like the rest of your, your competitors in the space, you know, oh yeah, seniors, they might not. You might not like that. And I probably shouldn't even say seniors. That's probably insulting to, to some of your clientele. So, so lead us through, you know, insurance. We were talking about this last time. It's always very um, and very, it seems antiquated a lot, especially when it comes to health insurance, life insurance. It's always very difficult. So what was, um, was the, was the idea we want to make this like a one shop or is it more, we want to kind of basically, facilitate via technology an easier experience for for medicare insurance yeah yeah it's a bit of both actually and so the problem that we saw was that the current experiences that are in the market really disempower consumers uh, and so you know the way health insurance particularly medicare is sold is either a field agent comes to your house sits at your kitchen table which obviously not happening as much the last 18 months um typically that agent might only represent you know, one, two, three plans. And so you never know if you're getting, you know, a full uh, uh, comparison of the market. The second experience that is, that is prevalent in the market is like telesales. And, you know, I'm sure you can imagine like how that goes. And you see, you see these ads on TV, you call in and you kind of get sold a policy and it's never a great experience. And so what we want, what we saw was it's a very high anxiety decision for someone turning 65. For a lot of people, it's the first time you're sort of leaving group insurance and having to pick your own individual insurance plan. There's a lot of red tape because there's public and private programs in Medicare. Uh, and so on average, the, a person has over 60 options to choose from. And our goal really is to build, uh, we call it a digital concierge model. Uh, and sort of internally, we call it sort of TurboTax for Medicare, where it is sort of a, a concierge service where you can start online, get educated, be part of that decision and really empowering the consumer to, to 
uh, own that healthcare decision that they're making, which is obviously an important one as you get get older. And so the best way to think of us is a digital uh, concierge service. It is a one-stop shop. We help you understand, um, we educate you, and we advise you on which, which plan is good, best for you. So this being the, the long-run show, uh, obviously you must believe in kind of the long the, the long-term adoption of a more technology-based model for, for selling uh, Medicare insurance at, and specifically Medicare insurance in this case, but you can speak to other insurances as well. Um, have the background clearly in, in fintech space. So do you think that, what, what do you think, or I guess where do you think we're at uh, in that sort of adoption phase? What, what are you seeing with your platform as far as, you know, how many users versus you know, market share out there. I'm sure since it's a, it's a fairly new, you're still breaking in, but, but where do you see kind of the, the entire space going? I know we've seen robo advisors in the last few years. Um, there's a lot of debate around whether those are going to replace or complement, you know, regular financial advisors or financial planners. We've seen into it with, with TurboTax. Um, but when it comes to insurance, what are we, what are we seeing as far as, Kind of where we're at in the, the adoption phase of the fintech solutions there yeah yeah there's always like a, a few different waves uh in insurance you know from, from our perspective at cover right we obviously believe this next decade of people uh who are aging into this 65 um year old phase of their, their lives is going to be much more digital and our goal is to actually follow them through that process and continue to be a partner and have a conversation around health and finance because obviously as you get older those two topics start to intertwine i think taking a step back in terms of you know where insurance is uh we're starting to go through this first wave of which we saw in lending as well of um digitization of the distribution and the consumer experience which is where really cover, uh, cover right sits as well it's already happened you know a little bit earlier within other types of uh, insurance in auto uh, in life through companies like Policy Genius, um, and it's you know Medicare for us is kind of like one of the last frontiers, really because no one's really focused on the demographic. I think where you go from there, similar to to other parts of um, fintech, is you the next wave of insurtech will start coming from areas that are more behind the scenes, uh, more sort of infrastructure based uh, improvements, where there's you know interconnectivity issues at the moment or the inability to to share information or underwrite quickly. I think that's where, you know, as we move over the next decade as well, like you'll see this first wave, which is tackling the consumer part. And the second wave is really tackling the infrastructure behind it. Gotcha. So it's almost like we got to build out the, the infrastructure now that it, it's like, okay, proof of concept. People like fintech insurance. I would have assumed that because it makes it way better, makes it a, a far better experience. So then it's like, okay, we've, we've proved that the consumer likes it. Now the, the companies are, willing or the investors with the capital are willing to to put capital behind the solutions for the, the infrastructure side yeah yeah i think that's right because the the you sort of solve the consumer issues that's really in a lot of a lot of cases the first problem uh it's going to be a better consumer experience and you kind of um allow some of the, the accumulation on the back end of like the process you kind of take that away through you know, a digital experience that's nice and then over time as a consumer drives what the experience needs to be you'll start figuring out like okay we really do need to build some of this infrastructure to enable that to be a much better experience and that's what's going to continue to drive innovation that makes sense so um another kind of tangentially 
connected question because um, of, of course this being the, the the long run show how do you guys see or position yourself for future changes because you know you're you're planning you're going to have to be planning years and decades into the future future changes with uh, when it comes to the political landscape with medicare because that plays into the insurance world a lot and different administrations, different political powers have different ideas of where to take that. So how do you, I guess, almost hedge against the the risk there, the, the political risk involved in the, in the space? It's kind of, yeah, it's almost baked in, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. I think, I think for the listeners who, who don't know Medicare um, just to cover that, that base is the federal program that basically provides health insurance when you're 65. So whether you are, taking it directly from the government or through like a private plan through United Healthcare. That's kind of the, the general um, grouping of, of sort of these Medicare plans. I actually think for us, I see more tailwinds than headwinds uh, in the Medicare space for a, for a platform uh, like ours. Um, there's, there's a few you know, reasons for that. I don't think Medicare is going away. That's one thing. And secondly, I don't think Medicare advantage is going away. Medicare Advantage is these um, private um, Medicare plans that are becoming more popular. The penetration is expected to increase to about 70%. Um, and I, the reason for that is there's strong bipartisan support. It works. I think that only plays into our, our uh, platform because there's more choice for the consumer uh, as uh, there's more players who want to increase in terms of the benefits that they bring to the consumer, like how they position themselves and more choice in my eyes is, is always better for the consumer. So I think that basically enables us to be, have, add more value because you need more of navigation uh, through that. There's some other things that also are tailwinds. You know, the current administration talks about lowering the Medicare age to 60, which also accelerates the, the sort of digital savviness of everyone who's sort of going onto the platform. Um, there's talk about, you know, adding routine dental hearing and vision care into regular medicare which again we think is better for the consumer and it will, will drive the private plans to innovate even more so they a lot of these plans over the last few years dental vision and hearing have been like a great benefit uh, extra benefit that they provide that the default government program doesn't have um, but if that becomes standard then they really have to start innovating on other areas to provide better services to the consumer i think the only one that I'd say, you know, we get asked about is really Medicare for all. Um, I think I wouldn't say I'm qualified enough to talk about the fiscal budgeting issues around that, but obviously that, that would change the, the scene entirely. I think, um, I don't think it's really going to happen. That's kind of my, my sense on, on, on sort of the political landscape. It's hard. And I don't think for a single payer system, you know, you look at the, you look to the UK where they have like the NHS system and it's really just, you end up with a system where you get average healthcare for everyone, which is probably not necessarily a solution either. Yeah, that's a, I, I think it's a great point on both, because I, I, I like the question, Austin, of, you know, there's political, it's, it's such a unique spot that you guys are in um, because it's like, you know, there's almost kind of the classic idea of, of uh, working tandem with government of like defense contractors, something this is this is so different, but but so such an interesting spot where, and, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like there hasn't really been innovation where you guys are in decades. I mean, is is this kind of I I've never heard of anything in the sector, and I mean, I've got 
older family members who could use your guys' services. I mean, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you guys are really the, the, the prime movers here. Yeah, it's definitely an industry that has um, that hasn't had innovation. There's actually a, a few good reasons, that, well, not good reasons, a few reasons I think that that's that's happened. One is it's an, actually a mandatory decision to have uh, Medicare when you turn 65 if you're not mm. still working. Uh, and so what that allows is the the incumbents basically go, well, they're going to have to make this decision anyway, and no matter how hard it is, they have to go through it and, and do it. So there's actually no impetus to actually innovate uh, on that experience because they're going to come, basically. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's kind of exactly why we think, you know, building what we're building right now is, is the right time. Like we think the consumer mindset for that age group is, is changing rapidly. Um, and alongside this whole theme of consumerization in healthcare, um, you know, people are only going to be looking for better experiences and they've got to really vote with, you know, their wallets really over time in healthcare and in health insurance. Yeah. And I love the idea of bringing more choice architecture um, because that, that's, I mean, I didn't even know that that was a mandatory decision. You just, you just forced to make, make a decision. So that's having, having that for the consumer is, seems just like a no brainer, but I mean, it makes sense that there's been constraints. There's been less incentive to innovate. Um, do you think that's kind of a where insurance as a whole seems to be trending? Because we've talked about, you know, we talked about uh, specifically with Medicare, but I mean, Austin, like we talked about a couple episodes ago of insurance going more digital, more choice centric, um, consumer centric, seemingly. Do you think there's kind of these broad currents that are moving insurance in general more in that direction? Yeah, I definitely think choice is going to become a huge thing, particularly uh, in health insurance in general. So the the current dynamic in the health insurance market is the shift, is there's a shift in the burden uh, of the cost of healthcare that is moving towards the consumer. I think the statistic right now is like over 50% of people in employee group plans are in high deductible health plans, which means consumers are paying more um, for their healthcare, and the healthcare system in the U.S. has historically been one where there's been a lot of inertia because of the prevalence of group insurance. And so, what that what group insurance does is the person who decides what you do with your health, and the person who pays for what you do, and the person who gets the benefit are three di different entities. The person who decides is typically your doctor, who you know you have to go to the doctor within that health network's choice. The person who pays is the health insurer and the person who gets the care is the ultimate person, is basically you. That's not the case in anything else uh, that is consumer product. Those three are the same. And so as the burden shifts, you're going to see uh, healthcare move to a more direct consumer model where people are going to start, like I said before, voting with, with their wallet. Uh, and we've already started starting to see this. People are circumventing the healthcare system and the health insurers, like, direct primary care models like one one medical or things like that where you pay a subscription just to get access to, to primary care. And what I think is going to happen over time is, and I think what you guys actually mentioned this in your last episode, health insurance is going to shift to catastrophic coverage and you're going to see employers going to provide more benefits uh, that are related to these direct consumer um, experiences. And it could be, you know, a, a, and, and that's because, you know, 
people are, are going to want to be able to compare like, you know, how much is knee surgery from here, from A versus B over time, if they're going to be paying for it. Um, whereas before, if you're not paying for anything, the, the insurance is, is working with your uh, employer directly, then you have you have no say in where you get that care. But I think that model is going to start, start changing rapidly. It, really interesting point. I've never heard the breakdown uh, into those three categories of the person who decides what you do, the person who basically pays for it, and then the person who receives the care. It's a three different entities. Um, and that's very different from even even other other insurances, right? Like yeah. auto insurance, you can shop around. You're the one paying the premium and you're the one also receiving the service. Um, you're obviously not the one, right? But you're you're the you're the person directly choosing, right? Where in healthcare, I think that's probably, probably the, the only product that I've ever heard of where it's three different entities all involved in, in that choice. What's driving the, the, the shift What's the what's the the leverage point there? Uh, you mean as in the shift to uh, the consumers or paying more? Or... Correct. Yeah, yeah. What's driving that that shift in the burden you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's really um, again, it's it's the way the system's set up. So if you think about employers are trying to shift the cost more to employees because the cost is going up. Um, the cost is going up because the person who is paying for it. Um, it, uh, you know the the providers basically when you go when you go to a, a doctor they basically charge the insurer the insurer doesn't want to pay and so you have this perverse incentive where the provider will start pushing up the prices that they're quoting to to the provider so you have this negotiation in the background and so there's this whole uh, opaqueness around what healthcare costs are which are dri- overall driving up you know just healthcare costs in general and so. People are now going, well, we can't really afford this. We have to push this burden to the consumer. And I think as that burden starts shifting more to the consumer, then, you know, consumers, then that sort of alignment between the, the person who decides, the person who pays and the benefits starts, you know, um, consolidating again. And that's where we will start seeing, you know, people again, like circumventing some of these uh, insurance networks to go get care. And, you know, direct primary care is a good example. There's like, startups like Roe and like these men's health um, where people are paying out of pocket themselves. Uh, and I think an interesting uh, thing that will happen over time is as um, consumers take on more of the health burden, health will actually become a bit of a financial asset for people, right? Because the healthier you are, the less you have to spend. And I think the services that help you stay healthy uh, are going to be the ones that, that are going to win. And what you're going to see, like I said, particularly in over 65 insurance where we play is kind of slightly different, but I think under 65, I think you'll probably start seeing, and it's already happening because it's high deductible health plans, catastrophic coverage becoming where the health insurers play. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm from M&A Capital Markets. I could very well, if this really plays out, you know, 10 years down the line, you could probably see some of these insurers acquiring these direct-to-consumer health services and really health insurance becomes an ancillary product at the back for catastrophic coverage. Interesting. So over time, do you think we're going to see as as we see these kind of tectonic shifts in where how everything aligns with health insurance? Do you you think we're going to see that? um, I guess maybe a better question is, how are we going to see that change when it comes to employer benefits? Is it going to go like completely away from employers trying to offer that as a benefit? 
fit. And so much so that it's, you know, it's such a consumer product now. We get a very far away from group. You know, over the long run, is, is that where we're headed? Um, or, or do you kind of see it as maybe a complementary situation where the, the consumer has their own direct to consumer product plus some benefit from their employer? Um, or I would imagine there's some transition process in between, but yeah, what's the, the long term end there, you think? I think it's 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 hard to say exactly because you know it kind of depends on how the incentives play out over time. But I do think, and I think it's already starting to happen. You're already starting to see employers provide these ancillary benefits that are not, you know, typically like health insurance related, etc. And so, I think One Medical actually has a program within employers is, is is an example. And so I think you might see employees because the cost burden is increasing start to ask for some subsidisation on some of these direct to consumer. Uh, experiences and then that means the role of the health insurer starts to narrow as well i think that's that's probably the dynamic i'll you, you you i think will start playing out over time um but you know it it's hard to say it's like it's it's there's a lot of moving parts in the healthcare system one one question i have kind of going off of these you know we're seeing these big changes in a lot of these large systems um what do you think generational differences has to play in that because one thing we're always talking about you know boomers versus millennials versus like do you think that it, it seems like as we've seen i mean pensions are another kind of example just talking about moving away from the employer and the consumer is there a you know especially as we move through the generations closer to more of the digital generations do you think a lot of these trends will continue or kind of shift or do you think the generational differences is playing a part in this? Yeah, I definitely think generational differences um, do play a, a little bit into this because, you know, you and I are seem more open to having these direct consumer experiences. And, you know, as the, the, the generation that is growing up in these sort of high deductible health plan environments, like, yeah, like I, I do want, better care, better quality. I don't want to have to go down to, you know, um, X plans, specified doctor. Um, I would rather, you know, like a, a one medical, uh, I keep saying that name, but of these other direct primary cares where well, I know I have access, like I pay hundred bucks a month, I'll have access to it. If I can get that subsidized my vote by my employer, even better. And these services are proactive, like they're keeping me healthy, like they're using technology to talk to me. Um, and, you know, over time, like, <clears throat> If, if this all works out correctly, like we should, you know, healthcare should move away from this model where there's this huge, this is basically these huge real estate companies where you have to go to the hospital at one centralized location. We should be, you know, staying healthy, monitoring our health outside of that. The whole system becomes much more flexible. Um, and I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of where it's headed. Yeah, that that plays into to something you you just said, being more proactive uh, with your with your health, and I think that's something people probably over the last two years. Of course, nobody wants me to say COVID, but I, I said it, okay. But um, as to you know, two years, all this craziness has really put like your health and and how you're treating your body and how you're prepared to fight off diseases or pandemics or any of that, it's put it into everyone's front of their minds, right? Because it's just yeah. it's been there for everybody, right? And so I wonder if the the shift from healthcare being more uh, kind of reactive to proactive 
will kind of spur on this direct-to-consumer model where the consumer is looking to be more proactive and preventative with the care. Because it seems like to me, whenever I've when I've uh, kind of looked through a, a health health benefits, you know, at, a, at an employer, it's always been kind of more on the, the reactive side, right? Like, oh, you need care for this. Okay, well, we'll get you care. You're broken. We'll, we'll fix you. But let's yeah. prevent you from getting broken. That be, that would be a cool idea, right? Obviously, breaking an arm skiing, that's different. But let's let's yeah. prevent you from, from getting sick in the first place. That seems to be like an afterthought in general across healthcare at the moment. Um, so maybe that maybe part of this is is kind of spurred who knows what what long term you know shifts we're going to see coming out of the the pandemic and and how people and uh, just following up on Austin's thought there uh, <laughs> I love the uh, the Warren Buffett quote of uh, I'll paraphrase a little bit but that that your your own body is one of the most important assets it's the most important asset you have to to take care of it and to uh, to keep it running fit and fiddle is, is so crucial. And I, I, yeah, I have to echo what you were bringing up Austin of, it seems like a lot of healthcare is that, that reactionary mindset. Um, do you see that as a trend coming up that proactive and, and are you seeing pushback? Yeah. Cause it feels like there's a lot of incentives for maybe, maybe, I don't want to, I don't want to speak too, uh, too, too harshly, but it seems like there's a lot of incentives for the big insurance companies and a lot of the legacy players to kind of keep things the way they are. Yeah, there's definitely uh, incentives to do so, but you are seeing them starting to move uh, in that direction. Uh, and I, I said earlier, like, I think, you know, there's some difference between under 65 and over 65, because I think, you know, over 65, there'll always be this Medicare program, but what you're seeing is that the Medicare Advantage providers, which are these private plans, are focusing a lot more on preventative benefits and they are competing a lot more as a plan themselves, as a consumer product, because they want people to select them and use them for, um, you know, obviously use them as their benefits provider and use their systems and things like that. And so, you know, there is like a whole um, uh, world of sort of healthcare, they called value-based care that is starting to, to take its own sort of uh, form and traction uh, across the country. And people are focusing uh, on it more because people are starting to realise that this old model of fee-for-service where it's really you get paid for however, however many operations or surgeries you have in the, in the hospital, like, doesn't benefit the consumer uh, at all. Going off of that a little bit, you know, lo looking at the ecosystem that you guys are in right now, um, pushing that change forward, pushing, you know, for the proactivity, what's the long run view for cover, right? Like, what do you guys kind of have in the pocket right now? And what are you excited to, to do and see in the future? Yeah, we're really excited about uh, one, obviously building our neutral product in the Medicare space as a navigation platform to help consumers through this difficult uh, decision and high anxiety decision where we see a lot of opportunities. No one has really built a platform that follows through on this phase of people's lives across personal finance. And so Medicare is a very interesting conversation for us because one, um, we get to build a brand new relationship with the consumer because no one has a Medicare advisor before they're 65. Two, we have an interesting angle because we're talking about insurance and health. Uh, and what we see within the technology space is there are a lot of companies building in fintech and health tech for this population. And I think if we, over time, what we're excited about can become this concierge, which is kind of where we're starting in, in Medicare and help guide them through, okay, these are some financial um, 
products or situations that we can help you with, give you some advice. Or like, you know, even on the health side, hey, these are some services, preventive services that you should be using. Like, there's a really interesting conversation for us to have with that, that consumer as they age into, uh, you know, this retirement phase of their lives. And that population is only growing. I think the, the statistic is there's going to be 20 million net new retirees over the next 10 or 15 years. And so it's a big population. Jeez, that's, that's crazy to think about. And to, I mean, globally, it seems like there's a lot of uh, talk of aging populations uh, around the world and kind of the need for better health coverages, insurance, you name it. And it's, it's, a, it's a growing long-term problem, it seems, that needs, uh, needs smart people like you guys working on it. <laughs> and, and kind of to follow up on that a little bit, because talking about the kind of the here and now, like, how did you guys get to where you are now from the past? Like, what what did it look like the journey from, I mean, a ground level to, you know, operating the way you guys are right now seems like a, a big leap. How did it, how was that journey? Yeah, I think like, like every startup founder will probably tell you it's, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, eating glass sometimes trying to, trying to, trying to set up a, a company it's been uh, there's a lot of twists and turns um you know at the end of the day like we're a small company and we have to work with these big 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 carriers that are in the space and not only that there's insurance regulation there's medicare regulation and so there's a lot of navigating around the regulatory piece from a carrier piece and then not only that we have to build the platform um, behind it and one big difference that I think a lot of fintech um, or insurtech founders would tell you is that, and even health tech, like it's unlike, you know, e-commerce or these other consumer products, you can't deliver something that is broken uh, because you lose a lot of trust and everything in financial services is just about trust. And so it was a long, like a long um, window, what I'm saying. It's been, an, it, it's been an up and down journey. There's a lot we had to do. You know, the platform, you know, I think we currently take in about 23 million data points on benefits uh, available. Um, and we've got currently got uh, 12 carriers, uh, which represent about 20 brands uh, across the country. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been fun, but it's uh, it's been a, a hard journey as well. <laughs> definitely, definitely can imagine that. And one thing we always try to do in the show is we uh, try to, pull something, pull something out for the listeners of actionable tips or uh, just kind of stuff. So like, what, what would you recommend for the average, the average listener who is, you know, either interested in the healthcare sphere, what's going on, what you guys are doing, um, learning more, or, you know, if they're older, getting involved or for like loved ones, what would you recommend as kind of action steps for, for anyone who's interested? Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, Want, not wanting to promote ourselves too much, but you know, if you're turning 65, it is uh, it's important to find uh, you know a partner that can help you through that process. And obviously, so come to coverright, you know, dot com. Um, I actually think there's an interesting um, conversation, even for those who are under 65, and maybe you're making decision for your parents, uh, like you said earlier. Um, there's a, there's a lot of people who help with that decision. Um, I think you know if you're interested in, in healthcare in general, there's there's a a lot of problems to be solved out there and a, and a great place. There's a book, uh, I think it's called Unhealthcare, um, that is a, a great place uh, to start. It's by uh, a partner, I think, who's at General Catalyst, which is a venture capital fund, and they talk about where they see the world going. 
I think that would deliver a lot of inspiration for anyone out there who's who's sort of trying to figure out like where we've been, where we're going in terms of healthcare. Awesome. Awesome. Great resources. And kind of a, just a final personal question that I had, like, how did you, how did you get from Goldman Sachs, you know, the M&A, all of the, the finance deep in the trenches to, to insurance? Cause it's such, it seems like such a, a wild leap, but I mean, you know, like you said, it's financial services at the end of the day, it makes sense, but I'd, I'd love to just hear a little, a little backstory on that. I find that fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like I said, when I was at, um, in sort of in, in banking and m and I was covering financial services. So I did sort of have a, a more traditional view of, you know, banks and insurers. And I also at that time, FinTech was starting to become hot. This was sort of early you know, 2012, 2013, like the SoFi's were starting to come out. And so I just got really fascinated in FinTech in general. And for me, you know, whether it's, you know, companies like uh, buy now, pay later companies that are really popular, whether it's infrastructure companies like Plaid, like I'm fascinated by all, all parts of fintech. And I think, you know, I would say I actually uh, came across Medicare just by accident because I was looking at insurance in general. I spent a lot of time in uh, property and casual, a lot of time in commercial and you know, coming from Australia, we don't we don't have a program that's similar to, to this, and so I just thought this was a fascinating um, a fascinating space. And then, two, like I, I do think you know, with ten thousand people retiring every day, there is the need for technology for this demographic, and so someone wants needs to go build it. And I think we have a really exciting, interesting conversation to have with people who are going through this retirement journey. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so, so much, Richard. Uh, this has been a great episode. Love the conversation. Love to be able to deep dive a little more into health insurance specifically. We got to talk about insurance in general, but now hopefully for our listeners, they have a lot deeper understanding. Uh, please go check out all the things that Richard Chan is doing over at CoverRight. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure to be here. Awesome. And this has been The Long Run Show here with my co-host, Austin Wilson. Until next time, we'll catch you later.